Welcome to Sozo's Podcast, a student ministry of Victory Family Church located in Cranberry Township, PA. We're glad you're here. We meet every Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8.30. Ah, check us out on Instagram at SozoYTH. So I'm Rachel, if we haven't met yet. Yeah, we've met. <laughs> I'm obviously not Ben or Alyssa, but um, before we jump in, I want to just pray for a moment, if that's cool. So go ahead and close your eyes, bow your head, the whole thing. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the beautiful weather that we have and for each and every student that walked in here tonight carrying whatever load that they're carrying. And I thank you that they're going to leave it here and are going to walk away lighter. And I praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sweet. So they're on vacation, Ben and Alyssa. I don't actually know where. I've been stalking them on Instagram like everybody else, trying to figure out where they're going. But um, this gave me the opportunity to start our new series, which is called The Fight. We're going to be doing this for the next couple of weeks, and it's all about Ephesians 6. So you can go ahead. If you're taking notes, please take notes, because he's going to ask if I made you do it, and I'd like you to say yes. Thank you. Uh, But Ephesians 6, that's where we're going. Uh, And... I wanted to make you aware of something when we're going to go there. Um, If this is your first time in church, welcome. If it's not, I don't know if you know this, but you're currently in a fight. Don't worry. Don't freak out. The fight's already won, so you're not going to be, like, taken down because Jesus did the fighting for us, but you are still in a battle against the enemy. So God is a master planner, and he knew that would happen, so he didn't leave you unprotected. He gave you some tools or weapons. And in Ephesians 6, you're going to see what those tools and weapons are. (coughs) I'm so sorry. Not even a minute in. Anyway, so Ephesians 6, it says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all flaming darts, of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which with meh, which is the word of God. So we're going to talk about two things today, defense and offense. And I hate to be this person, but I can't see anyone. Can we just like cut that back a little bit? It would help me out. I'm a little nervous, so being able to see people makes me a little bit unnervous. Thanks, Andrew. Um, so defense and offense. Uh, oh, that's so much better. Hi. All right, so anyway, defense and offense. Um, we are in a fight, as I said, but you're not actively looking for a fight, so you're not, like, going around seeing who you can, like, do the beatdown on. It's more so you're prepared whenever the fight comes to you, which it will because biblically it's been proven and stated that it will come to you. So I know next to nothing about sports. I know mood shift, but I don't. I don't really know a lot about sports. But what I have learned from working with a bunch of dudes is defense is key. Apparently defense is the best offense. So God has given us both tools, but we're going to start with defense since it's so great. Quick question. Who here has actually been in a physical altercation? Like a fight fight? Wow, way more of you than I thought. And I don't mean like verbal sparring match, but actually like there's blood, there's guts, there's a little bit of, yeah? Still the same answer? All right. I have never been in an actual fight. However, I have an older sister. And she's three years older than me, which means she became my natural babysitter. And let's just say Sarah was power hungry, to say lightly. 
And if you think about it, three years, when she's in high school, I'm in middle school. So physically, there's a difference, okay? So come back in time with me to like early thousands. And I'm a petite little like middle schooler. She's a beastly high schooler. And we are in the dining room. We have a computer table because our computer was on a table and not a laptop. And we had a piano and we had one chair for both of them. Sarah had taken the chair and I didn't really want to practice the piano, but she would have told my mom if I didn't practice and I would have gotten in trouble either way. So this was very important to me. I needed to get the chair out from under her. Again, she's massive and I'm tiny. Exaggeration, maybe, okay? But it felt like that. And so she like ripped down, you like locked her le like legs around the spiel, spiel, you know, the bottom. And then she like held onto the seat and she would not like go and I'm like trying to drag her across the dining room and it's not working. So she like scoots her butt back to the computer thinking that she's won. But I saw a pencil and I didn't really think about it. I was immediately like, I'm not gonna lose this. So I grabbed the pencil and I stuck it into the upper part of her like fleshy arm. It wasn't that bad. I mean, she still has the lead tip in her arm to this day, and we're like <laughs> mid-30s. But uh, I considered that a win because I wasn't going to go down without a fight. So she didn't best me that day. Thank you. Thank you for being on all the like babies in the family. You're like, yeah. Uh, so back to the point. We have two pieces of weaponry. We have defense and offense. We've already established that, right? <laughs> um, so what I love about these is that they work together that God didn't give you like a stupid piece of something that you would never use he gave you two pieces that work in simultaneously together so when we're talking about the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit we're actually talking about in two different versions God himself so the first of we've got the shield of faith which is our faith in God the shield isn't obviously physical, and it's not actually saying my faith is so massive that the enemy can't come against me. What I'm saying is I've put my faith in God, and he will protect me. So my first point for today, I've got a few, is that God is my shield. And he tells us to uphold the shield of faith. So the question is, what is faith? Faith is trust. Faith is belief. And faith is confidence. So I put my trust in God. I believe in God. And I have confidence in God. So me physically putting up my shield is me saying, God, I have confidence in you. I believe in you. And I trust in you. I don't glorify my faith. I don't exalt my shield. I don't worship my faith. What I'm saying is that because God's in front of me, nothing else can like, basically touch me. From the first book of the Bible, the very beginning, Genesis, God's talking to Abram, and he says, After all these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, for I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. This is basically the beginning of time. He's almost the first man. He's not literally the first man, but it's like prehistoric kind of time. And one of the first things God says to Abram is that I am your shield. And if anybody's going to mess with you, they have to go through me. I'm the one that stands before, between you and the darkness. That Anything that's trying to mess with my children physically is going to have to go through me because I am the good father. I am the protector. So you are, in theory, not in theory, but you are in actuality, protected by God himself. And so we already established a good offense 
wait, I'm going to get this backwards. A good defense is a good offense. No, wait, a good offense is a good defense. One of them. The one that's right, the one that I said first, that's what he is. So the enemy can't just basically run up to you and mess with you. He's got to get past your shield. So if he is going to go to get you, he's going to have to find an area of weakness. And if you're walking through life and you're thinking, don't worry about it. Like, I'm good. Like, I don't need protecting. I don't need provision. I don't really have any weaknesses. I'm just going to, like, walk through life, see where it gets me, see what happens, and see how it goes. I've walked through life with that mentality. And let me tell you, you feel it a lot more than if you would take the time to put up your shield. Because the enemy at this point realizes that you're unprotected, you're weak, and you need to realize that there's something coming against you. Being in denial about it is not going to help the problem. Because the enemy is real, as I stated, and he's got a real strategy which involves arrows. And again, like I said, metaphorical arrows. Or flying darts, I think, is one of the passages that I read to you. So let's look back at Ephesians 6, 11 and 16, and it says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, because they're real. And in verse 16, it says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming... This one says darts. Darts are arrows. They're basically the same thing. My point here being that Paul is using Roman, like, warrior armor to give you the visual. So he's going to pair it with the visual of a dart. And in this time, specifically, the, amo, <laughs> the arrows were flaming because they would dip them in pitch, which is basically tar. They would light them on fire, and then they would shoot them at the enemy. So this was twofold. If you didn't get hit by the arrow by some miraculous you would probably light on a fire, or you would walk into the fire, or you would get cut off from your t- like team, your group, <laughs> your, your warriors, your, your, your battle friends. You'd get cut off, basically, from the fire. Um, so you're probably saying that like literally doesn't apply to me. One, I don't have a team of warriors. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but... The point being that it was a twofold strategy, that whenever you thought that you were safe because you missed the arrow, you still had the threat that you could possibly catch on fire. And so God's not going to leave you unprotected from either of those battles. He's going to give you a full shield. It's not going to be like a little dinky. You've got this like section covered. You're good. It's going to be from head to toe. It's going to be completely encircled. There's not going to be any weak point. So you don't have to worry, is my shield strong enough? Is my shield big enough? It's going to be because God is the actual shield and he is protecting you because he is big enough and he is strong enough. Thanks. I'm going to feel obligated to thank you if you say something. Resist. Okay, just say anything you want. Just cheer me on. Uh, so anyway, the, the wicked one uh, comes and throws fiery darts at your life. He's going to shoot them and he's going to attack who you are. And so, like, you're going to be thinking... As you're living life, you're going to school, you're doing your job, you're just like hanging out with your friends. This whole time, the enemy is going to be throwing darts against you, against your identity, against your confidence, against who you are, and you're going to need the shield of faith to combat those arrows. So, I've been talking a lot about the arrows. Let's define what they are. There are going to be thoughts of impurity, selfishness, doubt, fear, disappointment, rage, envy, jealousy, These are going to be planned by the enemy to burn you and to destroy you. They're going to be twofold. So the enemy goes, I'm going to take fear and I'm going to lodge it in your mind. Right? Something little. And then every time you think about that, it's going to turn to anxiety. And then that anxiety is going to rule your life. 
and you're not gonna feel like you can reach out to anybody. You're not gonna feel like anybody understands. They're gonna dismiss it, and then you're gonna become isolated and walled in. Or he's going to take impurity, and he's gonna lock it in your heart. And you're gonna feel something whenever you see somebody of the opposite sex or possibly the same sex, and you're gonna feel isolated because you're gonna feel guilty, and you're gonna feel alone, and you're gonna feel shame, and he's gonna block you in again. He is going to do whatever he can to make you doubt who you are and who you're going to be. Because if he can get who you are in the moment, then you're never going to become who God wanted you to be. But God said that he's given me a faith as a shield. So I'm not going down without a fight. Psalm 18 says, as for God, has, as for God his way is perfect. The word of the Lord has proven that he is a shield to all those who trust in him. So my next point is that his word is my weapon. And honestly, while I was writing this, I had the revelation that both offense and defense, both tools, both weapons, are just God. One is thinking about and meditating. One is, you know, bringing up and basically doing the same thing. It's the same thing twice, and they both operate in two different ways, and they both protect you. And can you imagine, for a moment, that God's going to be like, all right, I got you a helmet, I got you a belt, you got some shoes, and I'll give you a shield, but... Good luck, bud. Go into that battle. Let's see how far you get. No, he's going to give you something to fight back or stab back in the situation with me and my sister. <laughs> um, so this is the offensive. This is going to be how you're going to encounter and fight back actively. And I love God because whenever you have two things that work together and they're, like I said, they're basically just him, they are going to fit parts of you and they're going to fit your battle so specifically in a way that it might not fit somebody else's and the way that it works for your good is just as equal to the way that works for their good. We were talking the other day, um, Pastor John came in to the staff, if you didn't know, I work here, this is my job, not this specifically, but I work here, and uh, Pastor John came in the other day and he was like challenging the entire staff members, all full adults. No one's really particularly younger than me, I don't think. And he said, what are the lies that you're believing in your life right now? And he challenged us and said, I want you to have Bible verses on command that you're combating, basically truth. And <laughs> you could literally feel the air go out of the room because we're all like, I don't know if I know that many verses. I don't know if I'm prepared. Like, what if he asks me something and I don't give him the right answer? But it just, to me, solidified this point that grown adults, Pastor John, is not so in ministry that he doesn't realize that we are all going through this battle. That doesn't matter if you're 15 or you're 18 or you're 28 or middle age, because I don't actually know how old Pastor John is. It doesn't really matter because we are all in the constant battle that the enemy is constantly trying to get at us. So you are never going to not use these skills. You are never going to not use these tools, these weapons. And you have to be prepared and ready to find that truth. You have to find a verse that resonates with you, something that is easy for you to remember, something that you can just call out if Pastor John asks you, what are the lies you believe and what are the truths? So I'm not saying you have to be like a Navy SEAL about it and go all like, did anyone do Awana? Is that a thing? No, did anybody do Awanas? Remember the book that they had and you had like Bible verses you had to memorize each week and you got a little star? I'm not talking like that level. Like you don't have to bring a book and be quizzed on it. But what I am saying is that you have to have a couple in your back pocket. You have to have the preparedness of going into the fight ready. So Revelation 12 says, we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. In other words, it's all about what Jesus has already done. 
So when the enemy attacks me and tells me a lie, I can recognize that that is a lie, and I can spit back and stand in authority and say, no, do you realize what Jesus has already done for me, that my sins have already been forgiven? And then whether you like it or not, I have overcome, but not by my power, but by the power of Jesus inside of me. So this is my opportunity to get a little sassy and be like, okay, you think that I'm this? Well, Satan, you're this. And this is where you belong, and you're not going to come back because God has already won the victory, and I'm going to stay in his light. So we're going to delve a little bit deeper into the sort of the spirit. And the first point about this is the word tells me who I am. All right? We talked a little bit about this already, but it tells me who I am because the enemy wants to tell you everything that you're not, that you're not good enough, that you're too much, that you're not from the right family, that you'll never make enough, that you'll never do enough, that you'll never fulfill your calling. You actually don't even have a calling. You were born without a purpose. You're never going to attain a purpose. And those personally, honestly, are a lot of, it's a vulnerable moment for me because those are all things that I've thought at some point in my life. But the thing about knowing God is that you don't go to the enemy to ask who you are. You don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, enemy, Satan, devil, whatever you want to call him, who do you think I am? What do you think I should do today? How should I walk this day out? That sounds crazy, but we do it. We do it in little ways, lies that we've rehashed, that somebody said over us, that we believe and that we put place in our hearts, instead of going to God and saying, who do you think I am? In which case, he will tell you that you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, you are the chosen generation, a royal priesthood, you are the marvelous light because you have Christ inside of you. And when you get into the word, which is the greatest, truest mirror that you're ever going to find, you're going to see those truths reflected back in you. And you're going to stop listening to the accuser, and you're going to stop thinking, well, maybe he's right. You're going to stop questioning whether or not something mean somebody has said about you is true. Because if it's mean, if it doesn't bring life, then it's not true. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It exposes who you are in the best way because where the enemy and lies are going to bring condemnation and they're going to isolate you and they're going to encircle you in a way that you can't feel like you can't get out of, the Holy Spirit brings conviction and he draws you closer to God instead of further away. And it exposes who you really are. So if you start to stray and you begin living out of the world or living out of what you feel or what you see in front of you instead of the word, when you get in the word, there's no other choice but to become back into alignment with him, with what he says about you. Because you're going to recognize everything you've been thinking and everything you've been believing is not true. And God is so deliberate and he's so upfront. He's not passive aggressive at all, which drives me personally crazy. But he will tell you word for word everything he wants you to do. So if I go to him and I say, I don't really know, he's going to be like, I want you to do this with your body. I want you to do this with your money. I want you to do this with your relationships. And he's going to tell you because his word is <laughs> basic instructions before leaving earth. I just learned this. B-I-B-L-E. Like that blew my mind. Nobody told me that as a kid. So this is my next point. And you can write it down. The word tells me what to do. Joshua 1.8 says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it on a day and night so that you may do carefully everything written in it. Translation, if you're only getting the word based on the slides that I have provided for you, it's not enough. If you do it on a Saturday, if you do it on a Wednesday, Sunday, 
statistically speaking, even three times out of seven is not a great percentage. And if you think about it, it is almost the most passive thing you could do because you're sitting there and I'm talking to you. You're not looking at it yourself. You're not thinking about it yourself. You're not assessing it for yourself. You're not reading it for yourself. So I came up with a little challenge. What if you looked at one Bible verse twice a day? Very simple. Get the Bible app if you don't already have it. It always has a verse of the day. When you wake up and when you go to bed, look at it. And I know you guys get up way earlier than it should be legal for any minor to do because of school. And you probably get home really late because life. And then when you do get home, you don't actually want to read, let alone the Bible, let alone stay awake to read. I'm just really tired all the time. So I might be projecting all that on you guys. But... (laughs) So I understand, like, I get it. I I completely understand. But the first thing I do when I wake up, and I'm assuming because you're younger than me, you do this probably even faster, I go to Instagram. I go to Snapchat. I go to my phone for my messages messages to see who talked to me while I was asleep. And what if, I'm just throwing it out there, for those two seconds, those five minutes before you get ready, you actually open the Bible at first, look at the verse, maybe look at it on the bus on your way to school, on your way home from school, if your mom drives. Not while you drive, though. If you drive, don't look at your Bible app. That is a bad idea. But they read to you sometimes. They can read to you on the Bible app. That's a thing. So I want to challenge you to do that because I think it's impossible for you to do that and not spend the next week more aware of what God has already said over you. I have a feeling that if you do that, you are going to see a change in your life. Let a, it's not, not be huge, it might be big, monumental, like a miracle, it could be, but more often than not, it's going to be a change of thinking inside of you. So if you don't know what to do, if you are at an impasse in life, if you're thinking, I don't know if I should break up with this dude, I don't know if I should go to college, I don't know if I should do the musical next semester, Like, look at the word, because God is going to tell you what to do, like I said, in every situation. He's got an answer to every question, and he will show you the mirror of who you truly are and the path that he wants for you. And he's so compassionate and understanding. Like, he is is always going to love you first. He is a father above all else. But he will not sacrifice truth for your feelings. So if you're talking to him, he's going to listen, and he's going to be like, baby, He calls me baby. (laughs) Baby. I do understand that you feel X and so about this person, but I'm going to challenge you to forgive them because what I want for you is bigger than your offense. Or he might say, baby. I do respect that you want to pursue that person, that relationship, that career, that path, that major, whatever it is, that interest but I want you to surrender that area to me because what I've got planned for you is wilder than your imagination. And it's only through the word of God that we even find out who we are and we find out what to do. And it's almost like every single time I get into the word, it doesn't matter how much time has passed, I kind of feel, and this may be personal, again, projecting, that a light bulb goes on or a veil has been lifted that I didn't really know was there. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's who I am. That's how you see me. So here's my final point. And the band can do their thing and slowly come up behind me because we're going to go back into worship. But the word tells me what not to do. So when I open up the word of God, the sword of the spirit, God will lovingly and gently, in a fashion or form that's true to him, 
and he's going to be so good at it, he's going to correct me. Now, I don't know about you. And I don't mean to badger, belittle, or judge anybody in the room, so please don't mishear me. But do you have anybody in your life that actively corrects you when they know you're wrong? I don't like being corrected, so I don't know if I have a person in my life that does that, because if they do it, they're very smooth, and I don't notice it. Because I don't like being told that I'm wrong. I don't like being told that I've decided something that they don't agree with. But the beautiful thing about God is that he reminds us when our minds wander. He reminds us when we have a bad attitude or when we're thinking thoughts that don't align with him or when we've strayed from the plan that he's laid out. And correction, like conflict, is not a bad thing. The only reason why anybody wants to correct you, well, the only reason why God wants to correct you is because he loves you. He loves you more than you can imagine, so he's going to take the time to look into your life and point out the things that don't match up with what he said about you. So when you start reading the word and you see so many examples of those who came before you who also did really crappy things, and he's going to use those people as an example of what not to do. He's going to say, baby, I don't want you to do what David did with Bathsheba. Baby, I don't want you to do what Moses did and didn't receive his promise and wandered for so long. I don't want you to be Jonah or do what Jonah did and rebel against me. I want you to obey me because I have so many things planned for you. And it keeps going and going and going like this. So many examples of great people of faith that I look up to and I respect and I think they screwed up so much worse than me. And that's because I can look at what God did through them and I can say, okay, I'm not going to do that. But even if I did, he'd still find a way to redeem it. And like I said, I don't know if I'm projecting, but I have a propensity to drift. I have a propensity to go back to who I thought I was, the actions that I took, the thought patterns that I had, the behaviors that I did, and just settle in that. And when I get into God's word, it literally puts me back into alignment with his plans and his promises for my future so that that past becomes distant. God wrote every single truth in the Bible so that anytime the enemy, the liar, comes against you, you can say, no, not today. I'm not playing this game today because I know what my God says. And I know what a liar sounds like now. You are going to need these weapons, the offensive and the defensive, because you never know when the attack's going to happen. You never know when you're in the middle of the battle until it's too late, until you've been injured, until you have let your guard down. And God always wants to prepare you for the battle that you're in or the battle that you're going to be in because you don't know how much he doesn't want you to go down without a fight. So we are going to go back into a song of worship. And during this time, I just want you to be a little reflective on the lies that you believe in your life ones that you might not even recognize as lies, things that you've said or have been said over you. And I want you to dig deep, in case you're not super familiar with the Bible, of any truth that you can combat it with. Anything, it could be as general as, I'm crowned with dignity and worth. That's a Bible verse. It's somewhere in the Bible. I don't know where. But I know it, because whenever I feel less than, I pull that one up.